Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Friday edition for week four. We're going to wrap up uh, the weekday schedule for week four, get ready for the weekend. Um, and uh, tonight we have another night of the in-season tournament. After tonight's games, we'll actually be more than halfway through the in-season tournament. So next week, we're really going to be looking a little more in-depth at the tournament uh, preview, kind of where teams are stacked, which teams look like they're going to make it, uh, what other teams need to do to have a chance to make it. And uh, it's a preview for next week, but we're going to focus on this week, of course, wrapping up this week. First of all, I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show. Uh, Whether you've been listening previously or you're brand new to the podcast, either way, we really appreciate you tuning in and supporting us. Uh, On today's episode, you know, we're doing our normal, uh, our summaries and our news uh, along with, of course, franchise focus. We'll talk fantasy updates a little bit. We'll check in on our predictions, which we haven't done yet this season, and uh, preview this weekend's games to to get you set there. So uh, let's go ahead and waste no more time and get right into it uh, with our, our game summaries and our key news. Before we begin with our game summaries, a quick update on something that I've mentioned a couple of times. I did finally make that uh, adjustment. So now our game summaries on every podcast episode from that this point forward will be the five on five drill with the six men. The six men being our you know additional stats for players or notes for teams that we didn't have a chance to, to cover more in depth. Basically, we'll focus on five games specifically for any podcast episode from the last you know, two days of action or three days if it's a Monday episode. Um, So we'll just focus on five games specifically to talk about a little more in detail. We'll cover the remaining games as far as final scores and any additional notes, which will be our six men, as we mentioned. So um, just a small change. I think it's better, especially this season where we're doing three episodes in the week instead of five. It makes more sense to focus on, you know, the, the big hitters as far as games are concerned. Um, but we do want to make sure we're covering everything, keep you updated on all the scores, uh, as best as we can. So that being said, let's go ahead and jump into our first of our five games. We're going to start, uh, with Wednesday night. We're talking four of our five games are from Wednesday. We also only had two games on Thursday, so we had to kind of pick more from Wednesday anyways, but we ended up with four Wednesday games. We're starting with, um, the big one, the opening of the ESPN doubleheader in Bo- or uh, actually in Philadelphia against the uh, Boston Celtics, the Sixers, the hot team in the league. <clears throat> they had recently had their win streak broken. They were looking to uh, make sure that was short uh, short lived, but they actually have now lost two in a row after that one. Uh, the Boston Celtics winning in Philadelphia, one seventeen to one hundred seven. Your final score there. Um, fairly back and forth 11 lead changes in this one but boston had the bigger leads overall um and they felt maybe a a touch sharper at moments although it was kind of anyone's game and boston was playing without both jalen brown and chris Porzingis. so definitely an impressive win for the celtics um against the sixers team that's been as we mentioned hot lately um teams very similar in most stat categories uh, Celtics with a lot more blocks in this game and a few more assists and boards. Really, not many other stats that you know separated the teams. The Celtics just made the the key plays late. 
uh, a key three-pointer late in the, the corner from Jason Tatum uh, was a big factor. He was a big factor in the game as a whole. 29 points, eight boards, six assists, and two steals. Uh, not the most amazing shooting percentages, about 43% from the floor, four of 10 from three-point range, but he, he definitely played very well in this game. Derek White stepping up in the absence of Brown and Porzingis as far as scoring is concerned, 27 points for him, five assists and three boards. He was nine of 10 from the free throw line um, and nearly 60% from the floor. Meanwhile, Drew Holiday with 18 points and 10 rebounds to go with two blocks and a steal. Uh, he was two of nine from three-point range, uh, which hurt his field goal percentage overall, but he was still effective in the game. And then Al Horford, 14 points, eight boards, and five blocks, getting it done defensively, four of eight from three-point range, uh, similar to Derek White. And uh, the Celtics get the win there. But for the Sixers, you know, their starters were very productive. Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey each with 20 points. Embiid with nine boards, seven assists as well. Um Maxi three of seven from the three-point range. Uh, then 16 each from the rest of the starters. Covington was 16, Tobias Harris was 16, and DeAnthony Melton was 16. Um, Melton, by the way, was five of six from three-point range, and then they had 10 points off the bench from Paul Reed. Definitely not bad at all from the uh, the Sixers. Just a touch more spread out scoring from the supporting cast for the Celtics. You know, Sam Hauser picking up eight points, nine points from Cornette, five each from Pritchard and Mikhailuk, Um, helped make a little bit of the difference. And so, again, a, a big win for the Celtics without some key stars. Um, the Sixers, they've lost a couple, but they had such a hot streak. I mean, they had won, what, seven or eight games in a row. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have a, a letdown at some point. Um, they, you would figure, are going to be well positioned to to bounce back. They're playing Atlanta tonight for the uh, the, the the tournament games, and then they'll have, oh, I believe, a S- Sunday game. Yeah, they're playing the Nets in Brooklyn on Sunday, so they should have a chance to maybe start getting some wins strung together. Although those teams are very uh, very potent, uh, they're competitive in the East. So otherwise, a great win for Boston. And let's go ahead and move on to our next game, a down to the wire affair in Chicago with the visiting Orlando Magic coming up with a clutch win thanks to the heroics of sophomore sensation Paolo Bancaro. Uh, the final score, 96-94 in this one. Bancaro with the the game-winning shot, uh, backing down Caruso in the post to get the, a shot up that has the English on it to fall. And this is after Zach Levine had hit a clutch three to tie the game um, in the closing seconds. So Bancaro coming up big in this one. Um and it was despite not a big scoring night for really either team, um, but Orlando specifically, no one scored more than 17, which was Bancaro with 17 points. He also had nine boards and three assists. Um, just not very exciting scoring from anyone. I mean, 16 off the bench from Cole Anthony, is it's a nice game in 21 minutes. Uh, they had 15 and 11 boards from Goga Patadze, two steals and a block as well. 13 points from Franz Wagner, 10 points from Jalen Suggs. Um, the Bulls a little less in the sense that obviously they didn't score as many points. Zach Levine, 19 points, six boards, three assists, four of seven from three-point range, pretty solid there. 16 off the bench for Alex Caruso, uh, 17 for Nikola Vucevic with nine boards as well, and then 11 points, seven boards for Torrey Craig starting in this game. They also had 14 rebounds off the bench for Andre Drummond, continuing to be effective. Um as he's 
kind of the back half of his career and past his all-star type or, you know, all all-star level seasons in Detroit, but uh, yeah, great win for Orlando. Um, I use this word too much uh, because it's too fun, but moxie, they've shown a lot of moxie uh, this season. I like their, their roster makeup for the most part. I, I feel like they have a chance to string some wins together and maybe slip into a, a play in tournament situation. Um, but for the time being a good win in Chicago, and we'll go ahead and move on to the next game. Uh, the Phoenix Suns winning at home against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, the Timberwolves, you would think it's slightly uh, favored going into this game, which you wouldn't have thought at the beginning of the season, but um, yeah, a statement win for the Suns. They snapped the Timberwolves seven game win streak uh, final score, one thirty three to one fifteen for your Phoenix team. Um, as far as the flow of the game, Phoenix led this one big for the most part. Um, they never trailed after about the midway point of the first quarter, and they led by as many as 28 points to uh, to close this one out. Uh, looking at things for the Timberwolves, they were led by Carl Anthony Towns, 25 points, seven boards in this one. 0-4 from three-point range, though. Uh, definitely a little tough. 14 points from Mike Conley with three assists. 13 each from three guys, Jaden McDaniels. Um, Anthony Edwards and Nas Reed Reed, of course, coming off the bench. So Edwards, a letdown. He was four of 16 from the floor. Definitely impacted their chances in this one. An off game for him. Gobert with eight boards, two blocks and a steal. Um, some scoring off the bench as well uh, for Phoenix. So Durant and Booker powering them kind of as you expect. No Bradley Beal in this game. We'll talk about that in a moment. Booker with 31. Durant with 31, uh, six boards, six assists for Durant, five assists and four boards for Booker. Um, Durant, 73% from the floor. Um, Both of those guys hitting a couple of threes each. Outside of that, they had 15 points from Eric Gordon, 14 from Grayson Allen, uh, 13 off the bench from Drew Eubanks, and 12 off the bench from Josh Okogie. just a, a better shooting team, 60% from the floor as a team in this game compared to Minnesota's 45. That'll really do the, uh, that'll make up the difference. And uh, yeah, the win streak snapped, but Minnesota's still looking very solid to start the season. Uh, let's jump to that fourth game, our final game from the Wednesday slate and the second of the ESPN doubleheader, the Sacramento Kings winning in Los Angeles against the Lakers, 125 to 110, your final score here. Um, and the Kings, I actually tuned into this one for a few minutes. They they controlled this game. They never trailed. Um, they led by as many as 26 points. Um, yeah, they just kind of controlled it beginning to end. <clears throat> Looking at things for the Lakers, first of all, as far as box, uh, box scores are concerned, LeBron James leading the charge, 28 points, tw- uh, 10 rebounds, 12 assists four steals and a block, six turnovers, but still a very effective stat line, three of seven from three-point range. Uh, became the second oldest player in NBA history to record a triple-double, uh, the oldest being Carl Malone when he was 40. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we have a couple other notes for LeBron a little bit later. But uh, meanwhile, uh, D'Angelo Russell, 28 points, five boards, five assists, 16 for Cam Reddish as he continues to start and has – played above maybe what you'd expect 11 boards and eight assists off the bench for Austin Reeves. Interesting lineup change that the Lakers have gone up, gone with there with Reeves coming off the bench. Meanwhile, for Sacramento, uh, 29 points, 16 rebounds and seven assists for one DeMontis Sabonis, not to mention three steals and a block stellar game. 
not far behind him, De'Aaron Fox, 28 points, five boards, five assists, and four steals. Those two guys, when they play at that kind of level, it shows you why the Kings were such a potent team last season, why they have a great chance to be that same level at least this season. Uh, Kevin Herter, 28 points and seven assists for him. He was six of 11 from three-point range, and that's a great performance to get out of a guy like him. And then Harrison Barnes, 13 points, two, uh, four assists. Sorry, two assists, four steals. Uh, three of six from three-point range. Great game for the Kings, especially from the uh, the Stars and Kevin Herter. And uh, they get a big statement win in Los Angeles. And finally, let's go to Thursday night, last night. And the uh, Golden State Warriors hosting the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder win on the road, 128 to 109, your final score there. Uh, in the wake of the uh, Draymond Green suspension, I don't believe he played in this game because of that. Um, yeah, after the first quarter, it was really a sort of a runaway for the Thunder, although the Warriors made it close towards the third. Of course, the Warriors, we know, can get very hot in the third quarter. But the Thunder withstood that, and they built a big lead again, leading by at least 20 points, 21 points in the fourth quarter to close out the game. Um, Warriors that out-rebounded the, the Thunder in this game, but they had more turnovers. Uh, and uh, the Thunder had a few more assists. They were a better shooting percentage team on the game as well. Uh, despite the Warriors, the Warriors outdid the Thunder in second chance points, 27 to 6. That's pretty remarkable. Uh, but the Thunder still win very uh, handsomely in this one. For the Warriors, they had seven players in double figures. No one scoring more than Jonathan Kaminga's 21 points, though. He also had six boards, uh, 61% from the floor on 13 attempts. Pretty great game for him, starting in place of Draymond Green. Uh, they got 15 points from Chris Paul. No Steph Curry in this game. Definitely a factor. Uh, eight assists from Paul as well. 13 points each from uh, Brandon Pojemski and uh, Kavon Looney. Looney also with 11 rebounds, certainly a factor in those second chance points. 12 points each for three guys, uh, Dario Sarch, Andrew Wiggins, and Moses Moody. You know, you figure if you have Curry and maybe some of the, the impact of Draymond Green in this game, they would have had a really great chance of winning it, you know, because they had some great offensive nights from a lot of the other guys, even if the percentages were not stellar. Uh, but then you look at things for the Thunder. Shakers Alexander, 24 points, seven assists, three steals, leading the charge. And then also Isaiah Joe off the bench, 23 points, seven of seven from three-point range. Um, and he was in a historical category in that regard. I can't remember the exact stat, but oh, uh, first player since Sam Perkins in the combined Supersonics Thunder franchise history. I kind of I feel weird saying that myself. A lot of people are not gonna be fans of that. I don't blame them, but that's the way it stands right now in the history books in that combined franchise history. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah Joe, the first player since Sam Perkins to do that seven threes without a miss in a game. Impressive stuff. I mean, and he was a guy that was, you know, a fringe player for the Sixers for a season or two joined the thunder. I didn't think much of it, but then he's had a lot of great quality games for the thunder. And I've liked his emergence as a player. Very cool to see that five boards as well. Solid game. Uh, 19 points for Josh Giddy with six boards and two steals. Uh, 16 for Jalen Williams. That's L E N Jalen Williams, um, Santa Clara, Jalen Williams, 13 and 10 boards for Chet Holmgren. And then 10 points off the bench for Casey Wallace. Uh, well-spread game. 
you know, it, the Thunder, they have just a, a bevy of talent. Of course, SGA top of them, Chet Holmgren, the, the leading rookie. But there's so many intriguing players on this team. Uh, it could be a big strength for them. And this eight and four start as their record currently stands, their best start since the 2013-2014 season, which if you'll remember, that was Kevin Durant's MVP season. So pretty good category or company to be in if you're the Thunder, a great win and a great start to the season for them. And that takes care of our five-on-five drill. As far as our other notes are concerned, uh, from Wednesday night, the Dallas Mavericks won in Washington against the Wizards, 130-117, to your final score there. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks won in Toronto against the Raptors, 128-112. to A couple of notes from that one, Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard with 37 points and 13 assists in the win in total, accounting for 72 points uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. Definitely an impact there. Meanwhile, Malik Beasley, 30 points off of eight three-pointers. I believe six of those threes assisted by Lillard. So the backcourt combining for a huge game there. Uh, Beasley a season high and a great game for the Bucks. Next, the uh, the Boston Celtics. Uh, sorry, this one we talked about. Got to remember the flow of the the game summaries here uh the the new york knicks winning in atlanta against the hawks 116 to 114 close game julius randall 29 and 10 boards with eight assists very solid all-around game uh and then finally the cleveland cavaliers winning in portland against trailblazers 109 to 95 donovan mitchell with the 34 point game in that one and then the other game from thursday we didn't get a chance to talk about the miami heat winning at home against the Brooklyn Nets, 122-115. to 115. Uh, Butler with 36 points. I want to say out of bio had a... Let's see. No, that might have been a, a previous game. Regardless, uh, yeah, solid win for the Heat. They're 8-4 as well, uh, as were the Thunder on the, the Thursday night win. So that takes care of our 5-on-5 our five five drill, our sixth man. Let's go ahead and jump into our key news real quick. A few items to run through. Firstly, for the Indiana Pacers, uh, Jalen Smith was hospitalized uh, with a head injury. This was actually suffered during Tuesday's uh, game, the play-in tournament game uh, against Philadelphia 76ers in Philadelphia. Uh, there hasn't really been, at least from what I've seen, a timetable uh, or any updates on the injury. Um if we're going to be optimistic, there's discussion that it was more abundance of caution, um, kind of a thing. Um, definitely scary stuff. It, it, the the wording of the updates I read was, you know, in all getting into an altercation or or battling with um, Paul Reed. I like Paul Reed. It looked like maybe a, a pretty uh, a clear elbow or a shot. You know, I don't I don't mean that he was going for the head, but definitely uh, that physical type play. You know, you see a lot of guys that will will jostle and will will elbow or do things, you know, um, meaning to do the action, maybe not where it lands on the player. I don't want to say that again. I like Paul Reed. I don't think he's any kind of dirty player. A little more physical game in that one. But regardless, uh, yeah, we. We'll wait for updates, certainly on Jalen Smith, wishing him the best at this time. A couple of big injury updates for some uh, some key guards for their two teams in the West. Firstly, for the Phoenix Suns, 
Bradley Beal, he's out at least three weeks with a back strain, or at the very least, he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks. So that's definitely tough. They just got him back after dealing with the back issues to start the season. Uh, but now he's out for a few weeks with that issue. And then for the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, Marcus Smart is out for three to five weeks with a sprained left foot. Huge losses for both those teams who definitely want to wish them the best as they work to recover from those injuries. All three of those guys, Jalen Smith included. Um, updates on the uh, Warriors Timberwolves brawl from the Tuesday night action from that group play night. Um, the Draymond Green thing. Uh, NBA has suspended Draymond Green five games for his part in that brawl. Uh, for the headlock on Gobert. Uh, and then three other guys: Clay Thompson for the Warriors, and then Jaden McDaniels and Rudy Gobert for the Timberwolves were all each individually fined twenty five thousand dollars for their part in the. Uh, in the affair. So definitely uh, I think, you know, I was watching the ESPN updates on it and uh, they were surprised that it was five games. They thought that was long. I personally thought that was maybe a little bit short, but uh, he will be losing uh, nearly $800,000 in uh, salary for those five games that he'll be losing. So I don't know. I, I, again, I, I like what he brings to the warriors, his impact. He's underrated. Uh, he's, he's over hated. But what the more and more of these things happen and they always are happening every year, there's something with Draymond, you know, I think that less and less, maybe people should, you know, despise something about Draymond because it, it does get old. And that's uh, kind of all I'll say about it. Um, for the Clippers, Paul George was fined $35,000 for publicly criticizing officials. Uh, didn't have the time really to see exactly what he said. Um probably just the usual, you know, bad calls and cost us the game, whatever, those kind of comments. Uh, interesting update for the Charlotte Hornets. The NBA is going to require LaMelo Ball to rec- to cover uh, the LF neck tattoo he recently uh, got, which is related to his LaFrance lifestyle fashion brand. It's named for his middle name. Um, but because it's tied to a brand name and a company, it's uh, technically a violation of the league's rules against exposing commercial logos on players' bodies. I remember this issue a few years back with J.R. Smith with the Supreme tattoo, and he had to cover that up. Uh, so it's the same situation, even if it's, it could, you know, you could say, well, it's his middle initials or it, sorry, his middle name, but um, it, it's tied to a brand. And if the NBA is not making money off the brand, they don't really want it. They don't want the free advertising. If we want to quote a Pete Rosell situation, if you've, you know, fans of the 85 Bears, we maybe know what I'm talking about there. Um, Philadelphia Sixers, Philadelphia 76ers update. Um, Philadelphia police report they have yet to find video evidence of alleged hit and run incident involving Kelly Oubre Jr. Um, the phrasing's a little odd. I mean, I don't know what the motivation would be for. Um, if that wasn't a true situation that happened, unless it was injuries from something that you wouldn't want to report, I don't know. I I'm if there's not video evidence, who knows? It's interesting. Um, I guess we'll see what updates we have in the future. Um, odd stuff. Anyways, uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies, they've been granted a disabled player exception worth about six point three million by the NBA. Uh, in relation to Steven Adams' season-ending season injury, 
the deadline to use that exception is March 11th. So I think this is somewhat separate from the, the Bismack Biombo signing. So now they have some extra cash to use to maybe acquire some sort of other free agent to help them out. Maybe. Um, interesting. Interesting to note there. Um, just a comment uh, or some other facts, uh, some other records stuff that you on in relation to LeBron's um, triple double and his stats and his threes in the, the loss to the Kings the other night. Uh, he did also pass Jason Kidd for fifth all time in career triple doubles. And he also passed Jason Terry for eighth all time in career three pointers along with that whole second, whole second oldest to record a triple double, you know, even with the loss, definitely a milestone night for LeBron James. And then finally an update for the, the Hornets again, uh, miles bridges, is reportedly going to be returning tonight at home versus the Milwaukee Bucks for their in-season tournament game uh, after missing all of last season and serving 10-game suspension to start this season. So that'll be intriguing to see what he looks like after a long absence uh, for a myriad of reasons to see if he can maintain the level he had a couple seasons ago where he looked very, uh, very promising, still a very young player. Um, it'll be interesting to see. And on that note, talking on the Charlotte Hornets, that is a great segue for us to move into our franchise focus, where today we'll be talking about who else, the uh, the Charlotte Hornets. Franchise focus. Okay, when it comes to the Hornets, there's not too much different in some senses from when we talked about them last season, there's still a rebuilding team, LaMelo ball, the, the key player, but the, the drafting this, this most recent off season of Brandon Miller, uh, you would hope gives them a little bit more concrete direction as far as Miller and ball being the, uh, the, you would hope to be the stars. Let's look at early stats for Miller, nine games played started four of them. He's about averaging about 28 minutes and he's averaging nearly 13 points, four boards, an assist and a half. Not the numbers that don't really jump off the page. He's struggling a bit from three-point range. Um, so I think the most you could take from that is, you know, this season so far, it's maybe going to take him a little bit of time to get up to speed. I think that's really all you can say definitively. Um, those four, four starts, it looks like coming in uh, the absence of Terry Rozier. He, again, has an injury that's taken him out. Uh, for a little bit of time, uh, he had been starting all five games before that, and he was uh, just shy of first on the team in points, 22 points per game this season so far for Terry Rozier. Uh, LaMelo so far this season, 22 points a game, eight and a half assists, five and a half boards, one and a half steals. Looks very good. I mean, I, I, I like to see that he's started all the games and he's played all the games for the Hornets so far. Even if they're not really winning games, they're three and seven so far this season. Um, him continuing to produce at that level is great to see. Uh, they've gotten great production out of PJ Washington and Gordon Hayward as well, each averaging about 17 points a game. Hayward five and five boards and assists and about 1.7 steals um, and 39% from three. Washington had a, a couple of nice games early. You know, I like what the Hornets have in here. And I also like Mark Williams a lot. I feel like he's going to be a big factor. He's shooting 74% from the floor. Of course, a, a very traditional big man. He's going to, you know, pick and roll layups or dunks and uh, maybe an occasional post up on a, a mismatch. 
Um, about 14 and a half points a game for him, nine boards, uh, one steal, a little less than one block. The block, block's down compared to what I'd like, but he's good. Uh, he, he looks really good. I think an issue for the Hornets right now is depth, um, especially with Rozier out. You look at that starting lineup, Ball, Washington, Hayward, Miller, Williams. There's a lot of excitement there. After that, you get to the the bench. The next guy's up. You have JT Thor, Theo Maladon, Nick Richards, Bryce McGowan's Ish Smith. I don't mean to deride any of these guys as NBA players. It's just compared to benches of other teams, there's a little something to be desired, I suppose. You know, um, there should you'd hope for maybe a guy like Nick Smith Jr. to increase in in production, but he's only averaging seven minutes a game. Hard to uh, increase that production when you're not really playing that much. Um, I don't know. I think that would be a big concern is bolstering and strengthening the depth. Uh, if you don't really have the depth, that's going to be a big factor in you not being able to win games, regardless of the talent. You know, even we've seen teams like, you know, Phoenix, even this year, the stars are out. You have the, the good bench guys having to start and that impacts your bench and they've struggled to win games at times. You know, so I think that is a factor to be considered. Lamelo looks good. Uh, Rozier is is great when he plays. Um, just continuing to to develop Brandon Miller to help him, uh, you know, come into his own as a player. I think that will, you know, after this season and you have a, a rookie year to evaluate Miller, then you can maybe start to have further direction on the team going forward. Um, but if we're going to kind of prognosticate, I didn't anticipate the Hornets being more than a, a play in hopeful for the next couple of seasons at the least, you know, it's just as much as, you know, Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. I don't think it's a secret that he was not the greatest owner or GM or, or executive of the team of all time. He wasn't completely awful. He wasn't great. Um, he was hit or miss At, on the whole. The team made the playoffs only a handful of times and um, they've had pretty clear direction in some years and then other years, it seems like they have nowhere to go. So it'll just really be the next season or two to evaluate what the, the current you know front office situation for the team looks like Lamella balls health and what Brandon Miller can do as a rookie and a sophomore that really is going to determine things. If you're a Hornets fan, you know, I think you just have to kind of take what you can, you know, you're excited with LaMelo's play, the highlights, you know, they're, they can be a fun team to watch regardless of, of score. And especially if you're watching the broadcasts, they're, they're play-by-play man. I forget his name, but he's, he has a lot of fun with it. And I'm sure more often than not, that's fun for the Hornets fans to watch. Um, and uh, I think, you know, you t- you take that and you hope that they're building towards something. You have the players and, um, you know, really they're just trying to recap, recapture the uh, the glory days, the 90s. You know, this is a team that was perennially uh, selling out the arena every night, consecutive sellout games. And I wanted to talk about, as we move into our historic team from the franchise's history, I wanted to talk about a team that um, captured lightning in a bottle in a sense that was the final team to maintain that uh, home sellout uh, 
stat or uh, record or whatever you'd want to call it um, that was retooled and even throughout the season was kind of a restructuring of the Hornets that happens to have the franchise's best record overall at 54 and 28 that also got swept in the first round of the playoffs. We're talking about the 1996 to 1997 Charlotte Hornets. And there's a fun side note I'll tack on at the end here, but to start coached by Dave, Dave Cowens, his first year as a head coach, I believe, uh, uh, not quite. He, he was a player coach in the 79 season for the uh, Celtics. It looks like, yeah, closed out the season for those Celtics teams that were not very good, but otherwise he'd started uh, to be on the sideline again as an assistant with San Antonio in the mid nineties. And then he was uh, head coach of the Hornets this season for the first time. Um, and uh, what a first year again, 54 and 28 uh, fourth in the NBA's central division, which is wild. What was the central? There was only four divisions in the NBA. So that is to be considered, but that, that said, that was still a pretty stacked division bulls 69 and 13 that season, Atlanta, and then Detroit was still very potent. And that was, you know, Grant Hill really coming into his own in Detroit. So one of the more stacked divisions, their fourth in the division overall in the conference, they were sixth with that record, which is pretty remarkable. Um, but the the roster here was very nice. I like the makeup. Glenn Rice, the star in the uh, the regular season and the playoffs, averaging about twenty seven points a game. Um, and one of the early, not early, but in his era, a little ahead of his time in the three point shooting on the season, he averaged about five and a half three point attempts a game, shooting forty seven percent lights out shooting uh alongside him a unique co-star in anthony mason uh this was his first year uh playing somewhere other than new york and he was a really unique player i mean 16 points a game about 11 boards as a power forward pretty standard stuff but then you add in 5.7 assists per game and then he also had a little bit of the the three-point game i think later on if i remember correctly uh, maybe not. He, he really didn't attempt very many. Um, so, yeah, more just the assists, a little bit of versatility, could play kind of small forward sometimes. I mean, like a, a point forward-ish, a very light version of that. Um, yeah, unique player, unique co-star, the two forwards there really leading things. Then they had Vladi Divac his first season there, um, played all but two games, uh, 12 points, nine boards, two blocks, a steal, uh, about four assists, solid stuff from the front court. And then the back court was pretty, was pretty serviceable. I mean, Muggsy Bogues still there as the veteran point guard, 8.7 assists, a steal. Um, Del Curry starting a few games more than maybe you'd see in seasons past, still averaging 15 points a game, shooting 42% from three, still being a great six man. Um, they got late production as a late season acquisition from Ricky Pierce, 12 points, uh, starting a lot of games. Uh, Tony Smith started as well. Um, maybe a, a forgotten player, uh, an okay-ish guard, serviceable guard. Um, Pierce and Delk, actually, Tony Delk starting some games in the playoffs in place of Tony Smith, even though Delk had only started one game in the regular season. Then they have Matt Geiger, Scott, uh, Scott Burrell or Burrell, Donald Royal, uh, you know, there's there's some 
there's some intrigue to this lineup. They also had Malik Rose before he got uh, a, a key opportunity in in this in San Antonio with the Spurs being a you know serviceable bench guy before even starting some games in the early to mid two thousands. Um, there's a lot to like here. You know, interesting makeup. It's odd that they were swept. I feel like they would have been able to win at least one game against that New York team, especially with Anthony Mason, you know, having a chance to be a, a revenge player. You know, it was the aging core of Ewing and Oakley. They had, they also had Larry Johnson though, who had happened to be a Charlotte Hornet before that. I'm curious his stats in the playoffs. Uh, if we could find, let's actually see if we can pull that up real quick. Um, Playoff box score against the Charlotte Hornets. Um, Larry Johnson, 20 points in the first game. The next game, uh, Larry Johnson with 11 points. Okay, so it wasn't quite the the barn burner revenge series, but it was still very uh, cathartic for Larry Johnson, I'm sure. Um, but still a great, uh, a, a great team, you know, and it, it's almost a a microcosm of what the Hornets have been so far in their history, you know, exciting team, exciting players, the home support. I mean, they were first in attendance in the league, which is, you know, you think the bulls, the, uh, the Pacers maybe in the, the mid late nineties, the jazz, but uh, it was the Hornets and that was a consistent theme for the team, but this is the last season they would do that. You know, the exciting team, exciting players. And then they, get ousted in the playoffs early on in a sweep. You know, it's just indicative of a team that's had the excitement and had the support. They haven't been able to build a, a real potent playoff team yet. I feel like there's going to be a time where they do it. Um, and then one final note, we mentioned Vladi Divac. It was his first season in Charlotte because he had come over from the Lakers in a trade that happened to include uh, a player that the Hornets had drafted by the name of Kobe Bryant. Can you imagine? I mean, you would lose Divots, so you're starting center situation. You'd have, you know, Geiger maybe instead of uh instead of Divots. We have Glenn Rice with a young Kobe Bryant, Anthony Mason, Muggsy Bogues, Del Curry. Del Curry playing with Kobe Bryant. I don't know. There would be intrigue there, but uh I I can't guarantee that Kobe would have turned into the same player. I mean, he he would have still had the, the work ethic. He would have still been an at least an all-star type player. Um but uh, yeah, a very intriguing team to look back on. And I want to move on to our, our player to focus on. And I want to talk about Gerald Wallace. Um, we're going to still get a little bit of uh, Bobcats talk in here. Kind of like we did last year. We talked about a Bobcats team, um, but we're talking about Gerald Wallace. He was a one-time all-star. And I want to say that was in 2010. Yes. 2010 season, probably his best all-round season as an NBA pro. It was also the one year that the Bobcats made the playoffs um, and him, him being the all-star, first of all, he's the only Charlotte Bobcat to be named an all-star. Of course, the Hornets have had several all-stars. He was the only all-star as a Bobcat. He was the league's steals champion early in his uh, Charlotte career in 2006 season. He averaged two and a half assists a game that year. Um, he was also in that 2010 season, all defensive team, and he was underrated Overall, in his Charlotte run, he missed some time with injuries uh, kind of off and on. He got a start, of course, in Sacramento with the Kings, uh, a spot minutes guy, showed the athleticism when he played, but it was uh, such a stacked team. He really didn't get a chance to run. But then 
after the Hornets moved to New Orleans and Charlotte was without a team for a season or two, the expansion Bobcats pick up Gerald Wallace in the expansion draft. And that's got to be an all-time great expansion draft pick because he became sort of a franchise cornerstone for the next six or seven years. Again, regardless of, of injury issues or him not being, you know, a top tier player, but he was an all-star level player. I mean, his career averages in Charlotte for those full seven seasons uh, or or six full seasons, then part of uh, a seventh were uh, 16 and a half points a game, seven and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, 1.8 steals, 1.2 blocks. Very impressive stuff. Uh, the defensive impact, the boards, and it was indicative of his play. His nickname was Crash. He was a physical player. He was an all-out player, regardless of the injury risk. He tried to maybe curtail that at some points, but it was a hindrance to his play. He All he could do was play all out. And uh, you look at that 2010 season, 18 points a game, 10 boards a game, two assists, one and a half steals, one block, uh, 76 games played, and he shot 37% from three. That's a standout player. I, I like that stat line, even if it's not the highest point totals. I love the all-round impact. And uh, in that 2006 season, when he led the league in steals, he also averaged 2.1 blocks per game. Two and a half steals, 2.1 blocks per game, uh, over 55 games in the 2006 season. The only other two players to average two steals and two blocks at least in a season, David Robinson and Akeem Olajuwon. That is impressive company to say the very least. Um, yeah, at the end of his career in the 2011 season, he was traded to Portland. Uh, his play was still very productive in that that Portland season. Uh, the following year, mid-year, he was traded from Portland to the New Jersey Nets, uh, still productive. The following year, as they moved to Brooklyn, his play dropped off big time. Spent the last couple of years of his career in Boston after the uh, the Paul Pierce and uh, Kevin Garnett and Jason Terry trade from in between the Nets and the Celtics. Uh, the Celtics get Gerald Wallace. Again, his play is cratered at that point. Wasn't the same player, but the Celtics got all that draft capital, so it worked out for them. But again, overall, one of my not my favorite players, but a player that I like to kind of reminisce on a unique career, what he meant to Charlotte in those Bobcats years, especially kind of uh, early on as the team was gaining some traction. It was the Bobcats. It wasn't the Hornets. They were never going to be a, as big a draw for the fans or for anyone really. Um, but he was just a great pro in that time. And that's, uh, you know, a credit to him and his career. So that, that kind of wraps up our, uh, our franchise focus with that. Let's go ahead and move on real quick to a, a brief discussion of our, uh, our fantasy Fridays. Okay, let me go ahead and pull up my uh, fantasy app here so I can update you on our team and our, uh, or my team at least, in our league. Uh, so far, it looks like I'm losing my matchup uh, eight, 816 to 759. Um, oh, Mitchell's out tonight for me. That's definitely an, uh, a negative impact. Jokic has been stellar, as you'd expect. Mobley's been very good. Um, I've seen good games from like, you know, Kyrie Irving, 
Um, but I, I've I've made a gamble. I've acquired a couple of guys who are out for the time being or day to day with injuries in the hopes that they'll pay off later. And I'm kind of attributing it to my fantasy football approach where there were some guys that were dropped because of an injury. Um, and I picked them up and was able to be patient because I had a pretty solid lineup around them. And then as they've returned, it's just made my lineup stronger. Um, the gamble this time around, I've got Brogdon who's out. I've got Jalen Duran who, uh, I believe is out as well. And then there's one other player, I guess Mitchell's out, but that's more of like a day-to-day type thing. So Duran and Brogdon are guys that I acquired with the hope that they will, when they return, they will be an improvement compared to what I had, I suppose. But uh, I'm one and two on the season. Looks like I have a chance. I'm having a good chance of going one and three. If I'm losing so far this week, there's only one undefeated team so far this year. And this is the lineup for that team. Uh, You've got, Luka Doncic, um, Paul George, Anthony Davis, Damana Sabonis, Zach Levine, uh, Kyle Kuzma, Jordan Poole, Chris Porzingis, Clint Capella, Tobias Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie. Man, this is a stacked team. How did he end up with this? <laughs> Might have to ask for a trade or something. He's got too many good players. Um, and then as far as some quick thoughts on um, some players to keep an eye on, again, in our very uneducated um my uneducated uh, fantasy perspective, a guy on the rise. I picked Kevin Herter. I mean, he was this last week compared to the season up so up to this point so far. He's averaging about eleven more points a game, sixteen um, percent more from the floor, fourteen percent more from three. Big scoring increase. I kind of like him as a player overall. And again, the Kings are starting to rise a bit. Uh, a guy that's fallen a bit. This is not a big pick but Kawhi just with the Clippers in general again I don't want to belabor the point we talked about on a Wednesday but the Clippers are struggling um, they're trying to fit in four all-stars where they had three prior his points are down his boards are down about two each in that both those categories about an assist a game less as well so the production is just a little bit down as the team struggles and as they try and incorporate again a James Harden to a core that already had three all-stars. So just something to be wary of, I suppose. And then back to the Kings, a sleeper pick. I picked Keegan Murray. I like his impact as a player. I f- There's something about him that makes me almost think like Paul George, you know, like a, a big forward, a tall forward, defensive player who has plenty of scoring ability, who's on a good team, who could, if he has a chance to break out, could emerge as a star for the Kings. I honestly feel like he has that potential. Uh, this last week, compared to the season overall, he's averaging about five more points a game, 1.5 rebounds more, and he's shooting about 12% better from uh, the field. So definitely exciting to see that for, for Keegan Murray, and I think those are some guys to watch out for uh, in fantasy overall. But that's a real quick take on our, our Fantasy Fridays. Let's also real quick check in on our predictions so far and see how they're looking. Again, it's still very early, but we haven't done this yet. So I thought we'd maybe just give it a quick look, see what things are looking like so far. Um, One of my predictions from week one was that the Kings, we're just talking about them, would end the season as a top four team in the West. Have they moved any closer to that so far? Uh, they've moved a little closer. They're sixth right now, so... They've won their last four games. That's definitely looking better on that take. Uh, Westbrook, this is a Wyatt prediction. Westbrook returning to the all-star conversation. 
Um, as a player, that might be a little bit in the works still. I actually was reading something that uh, Westbrook approached the Clippers coaching staff recently uh, about volunteering to kind of come off the bench as they work to incorporate Harden and such uh, to the team. So that was definitely, um, you know, kind of a surprise to see that refreshing sometimes when you have a player who their production has gotten, it's dwindled a little bit to see him, you know, say, maybe I should be the guy coming off the bench. Um, so far the season, 14 points a game, seven boards, nearly six assists, two steals. Not bad. I think that's a pretty productive stat line, but, uh, Definitely a little far from the all-star category at this point. So not quite on track, but uh, I won't rule it out entirely. Uh, Memphis missing the play-in tournament. Uh, Yeah, they're bottom in the West right now, two and nine. That could very much be in play as well. Um, Where was our other week? Uh, Oh, the Scotty Barnes pick. I, I was high on Scotty Barnes one day. I still like what he's doing so far. Let me double check those stats again see what he's doing so far uh yeah 20 points nearly 10 boards yeah he still looks like i feel like that has a chance all-star and the the votes for defensive player of the year he looks good i like what i've seen from him but uh you know it's a real brief uh look and then uh, this week we won't really talk about that because again we've talked about the clippers uh probably far too much probably to the point where you as the audience are like, okay, enough about the Clippers. Let's talk about something else. And we can, we'll talk about our weekend forecast for you. Uh, all the times that I will get for these games are in Eastern standard time. So definitely keep that in mind as you're planning your schedule. Uh, pretty even spread six games on Saturday, nine games on Sunday, eight games on Monday, not a lot of national broadcasts. So definitely a league pass weekend as a, probably a lot of the weekends are, but <clears throat> excuse me, definitely. If you have league pass, uh, we'll maybe point out some games to look for, but as far as national broadcasts on Saturday, we have one on NBA TV at eight o'clock, the, uh, Milwaukee bucks hosting the Dallas Mavericks, uh, Lillard versus Kyrie Luca versus Giannis, uh, considering all, or, you know, uh, assuming rather all four of those guys are healthy. We hope they are. And, uh, that could be a very exciting game. If that's the case, the other games from Saturday, we have the, uh, at six o'clock, the New York Knicks in Charlotte against the Hornets seven o'clock. The Pelicans host the Minnesota Timberwolves at eight o'clock. The Spurs host the struggling Grizzlies also at eight, the Chicago Bulls host the Miami heat. And then at eight 30, the golden state warriors hosting the Oklahoma city thunder in a rematch of Thursday's thunder win as the Warriors try and get in the win column for the first time this week. Uh, the Bulls hosting Jimmy Butler. He's returned to Chicago multiple times, but again, that's something maybe to look at. I don't know, uh, as the, the Heat are much better than the Bulls so far this season. Um, yeah, there's some intrigue there on Saturday. Let's jump to Sunday. Uh, one national broadcast there as well, NBA TV at 8 o'clock. The Utah Jazz hosting the Phoenix Suns. This will be a rematch of tonight's. Uh, in-season tournament game, which, of course, me as a Jazz fan, if the Jazz can win that game, they're 3-0 and in the play-in tournament so far, which would position them very well. Phoenix without Bradley Beal, but they still have Durant and Devin Booker, two of the best players of this generation, um, uh, slightly offset generations. But, um, yeah, that's an exciting one to watch for, the rematch there. Um, but remaining games uh, at 3 o'clock, the Brooklyn Nets host the Philadelphia 76ers. Four uh, at four o'clock, the Toronto Raptors host the Detroit Pistons at five. Orlando travels to Indiana to face the Pacers. 
at six o'clock, the Denver Nuggets are in Cleveland against the Cavaliers. That's kind of a sneaky good game uh, to the better teams, especially the Nuggets in their conferences. That's a, a higher caliber matchup. Also a sneaky good game at 730. The Dallas Mavericks hosting the Sacramento Kings to the the Western Conference hopefuls. That one would be interesting to watch at eight o'clock. The Memphis Grizzlies hosting the Boston Celtics. What would have been Marcus Smart's, I believe, first matchup with Boston. It might be his second or might have been. But of course, he's out. Um, But Boston still in Memphis. Can Memphis get an upset? That'd be intriguing to watch. At 9 o'clock, the Portland Trailblazers host the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then at 9.30, uh, the Lakers are hosting the Houston Rockets. A chance for the Lakers to to make up for that shellacking they took against the Houston Rockets um, about a week or so ago, maybe a little bit more. And then on Monday, we don't have any national broadcasts on Monday, so all these eight games are on League Pass. Three games at seven. We have the Wizards hosting the Bucks the Denver Nuggets traveling to Detroit to face the Pistons, and then the Boston Celtics in Charlotte against the Hornets. Um, all three of those games, you figure, you know, Bucks, Nuggets, Celtics should be favored. That's something to watch for. Do any of those three teams lose? Let's see what happens. Uh, at 8 o'clock, four games at 8, the San Antonio Spurs hosting the LA Clippers, the Pelicans hosting the Kings, the Minnesota Timberwolves hosting the New York Knicks, and then uh, another match of the Chicago Bulls hosting the Miami Heat. And then at 10 o'clock, the Rockets continue their California trip in Golden State against the Warriors. So there's a handful of interesting games there. I mean, every game we can find something interesting, but there's a few I would definitely pick out uh, if I find myself free for a moment this weekend, have a little bit of a busier weekend planned. Uh, I'll definitely have to... uh, to tune in. I mean, I, I try and tune in as much as I can, of course, but definitely a lot of games for that I would recommend for you, the listening audience to, to check out, but uh, that takes care of our game summaries. And that's our show for the most part. Let's go and wrap things up with our, this day in history fact for you going back to 1984, uh, November 17th of 1984 Purvis short scored 59 points, which is the most by any player, any NBA player at that point since uh, April 9th of 1978. Uh, but his Golden State Warriors lost to New Jersey that night, 131 to 114. It was the third time in a week that Short had scored more than 40 points in a game. A pretty underrated, forgotten player, Purvis Short, for the Warriors in those 80s, uh, especially because the Warriors were not very good in the 80s. Um, and that's kind of what it boils down to sometimes. But uh, with that, that takes care of our show. Real quick, I'll plug our uh, social media accounts. Uh, on Instagram and Facebook, you can find us at Crossover Across Time. Pretty straightforward to find us there. On Twitter or X, whichever you prefer, uh, that's X Over Across Time, simply due to the character limit. On all three of those, you'll also find our link tree, which will link to any of the other social media pages, but we'll also link to the podcast itself. You're already listening, but if you don't know all the places we're available, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and RSS.com. So again, we appreciate your support. We'd also appreciate your support on any of the social media pages if you want to give us that. But otherwise, again, that takes care of our show. We appreciate you tuning in and uh, have a good rest of your weekend. Thanks again.